0: Our God, you are great. You are great in in your majesty, great in holiness and in righteousness and in power and in wisdom and in knowledge. You are great in all of these ways and you are, you dwell in light that is unapproachable and you are hidden from our eyes and yet you have made yourself known in your word and in creation and in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is our desire that as we look into your word and as we meditate upon the things in it, that we may see how good you are, how great you are, and that our hearts may be filled with adoration and praise for you, our great God and Savior. Glorify your name now, we pray, in our time of study here in your word, in Christ's name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you have are not there already, please turn. We're going to be looking today at the last few verses that are, are in this chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. We took a, a week off to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so now we are back in Ecclesiastes looking at this, this passage that deals with the subject of riches and wealth and poverty and things related to that. And uh, we saw in verses 8 and 9 that Solomon picked up the subject of, of of poverty and riches. In verses 8 and 9, he laments the oppression of the poor by those who had more power than than the poor by the, basically it was government officials who were oppressing the poor and Solomon laments that and then in case you think that the answer to that is coveting more wealth or maybe you think that the motive for oppressing the poor is to get more wealth, Solomon deals with the subject of the rich and how riches do not Uh, how, how riches fail us in so many ways. They fail to provide satisfaction because the one who loves money will never be satisfied with money. Riches fail to provide security because those who have more things just sit back and watch as all of their things are consumed by others. And riches fail to provide sleep. And in case you think that you would sleep better if you had more things, not necessarily. Having more things just gives you more reasons to stay awake at night and worry about the things that you have. And then Solomon gives us two grievous evils two grievous evils, and he he portrays to us two men, a man who hoards everything that he has to his own hurt and a man who loses everything that he has through a bad investment. And those two men are given to us in verses 13 through 17, and verse 17 describes the, the life that is lived by both the hoarder and the one who is destitute because he has lost everything. They spend their days and eat in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. And that is the that is the life, that is the, the, the curse, as it were, upon the man who hoards everything to his own hurt and upon the man who has lost everything through a bad investment. And we got done with verse 17 last time, two weeks ago. I told you that there is something that both of these men, the hoarder and the destitute man, there's something that both of them have in common. They're opposite in so many ways, but there's something that both of them have in common. Namely, that both of these men lack the ability to enjoy everything that they have been given. The hoarder, because he will not, use the things that God has provided for him. Instead, he heaps them up. The other man, because he has lost everything that he has worked for. So both of these men spend their days working for and accumulating things. One of them hoards it, and he does not use it, so he does not enjoy it. The other one loses it all, and so even though he might want to enjoy it, he cannot. So the destitute man has the desire to enjoy things, but he can't because he has lost them all. The hoarder has everything that he could enjoy, but he will not enjoy them because he wants to protect them. And so neither one of these men end up really enjoying the good gifts that God has given, given to them. So what is the antidote to this grievous evil? What is the antidote to, to losing everything and not enjoying it, whether you have it all or you don't have it all? And Solomon gives us the antidote to that in verses 18 through 20. It is to enjoy the simple gifts that God has given to us. So let's read together this passage. Here is what I have seen, to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart." This is the fourth of what are are called the enjoyment passages in Ecclesiastes. There are six of them. We have looked at three of them so far. There are two more. There's one in chapter 8 and one in chapter 9. This is the fourth enjoyment passage. And in typical wisdom literature style, Solomon kind of launches out and talks about a bunch of different subjects, and then as he addresses all of these things that are vanities and evils under the sun, he he seems to kind of circle around back to this, this conclusion of sorts, then Eat and drink and enjoy the gifts that you have been given. And then he leaves that and kind of circles out and talks about other subjects, but he he keeps coming back to this subject, this topic, and this conclusion of just enjoying the good gifts that God has given to us. I'll read to you the other enjoyment passages just so you can remember what has been said and what we have covered in weeks past. And you can follow along if you want here in Ecclesiastes. The first is in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Solomon says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? Now notice some things there. Solomon talks about eating and drinking and enjoying yourself and your labor. He talks about this being a good thing, and he talks about this being from the hand of God. And that passage is very similar to the one that we're looking at today in chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. The second enjoyment passage is Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime, moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. Notice there. Solomon describes eating and drinking and seeing good in your labor, and then he says that the ability to do this, doing this, is the gift of God to you. The third enjoyment passage is Ecclesiastes 3:22. "I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot for who will bring him to see what will occur after him? And the fourth one is here in verses 18 through 20. And, and Solomon continues the theme into chapter 6, and I want you to ignore for a moment the, the chapter division that is there in the middle of our text, because keep in mind, those were added hundreds of years after this was written. Uh, they are added for our convenience. They weren't there in the original. Solomon is not changing subjects as he moves into chapter 2. He's actually going to contrast A man in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, with the man in chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Notice the contrast, chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. So chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, is the man to whom God has given wealth and... God has given the ability to enjoy that wealth. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 2 is a man to whom God has given wealth, but God has withheld the gift or the ability, the empowerment to enjoy that wealth. Now you say, why is it that God would give riches and wealth to somebody, but not give them the ability to enjoy the riches and the wealth? Why would he do that? Next week, when we talk about the man in chapter 6 who is not given that gift, we will look at all the ways in which wealth is given without the ability to enjoy it. And we will answer the question, why is it that God would give somebody something but not give them the ability to enjoy it? I want you to know for now, the satisfaction is sold separately. The gift and the ability to enjoy it do not necessarily come together. In the the unique occasion when that does happen, chapter 5, verses 18 to 20... It is the gift of God. So here's what we're going to see. That enjoyment is the reward for our labor. That's in verse 18. And then enjoyment is the gift of God in verses 19 to 20. First of all, it is the, the reward for our labor. Look again at verse 18. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat and to drink and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Our enjoyment is the reward for our labor. Now Solomon turns something of a corner here at verse 18. Up to this point, he has been talking about all the things that we pursue that do not necessarily bring us satisfaction and enjoyment. Namely, wealth and riches and honor and those things that he's described earlier in chapter 5. We pursue these things, and Solomon says, but you pursue them, but being rich doesn't mean that you're satisfied with that because the one who loves money is not satisfied with money. Neither does it bring you security, which you might think that it would. Neither does it bring you sleep. These are the things that we pursue and aggressively go after, but... God doesn't necessarily give those gifts to us and give us the ability to enjoy it. Instead, Solomon says, here's the antidote to the grievous evil of losing everything, the grievous evil of hoarding everything. Here's what we ought to do. It is good and it is fitting. We ought to eat, to drink, and to enjoy ourselves in our labor, for this is the reward for our toil under the sun in all the years that God has given to us. Eating and drinking is kind of an ancient way uh, in ancient literature and in wisdom literature, well, I should say, it is, it is kind of symbolic in the Old Testament as a whole, of, of the idea of the, the basic necessities of life. Eating and drinking is something that is essential and basic. If you stop doing that, you would stop what? You would stop living. Right? So you have to do this. This is something that we think about every day. It is something that we do every day, eating and drinking. It is the bare necessities, the basic essentials of life. So here is what Solomon is saying. Even in these basic and essential areas of life, things that we do every day and think about every day and need every day, God has provided them in such a way that we can enjoy them. This is the gift of God, and it is the reward for our toil that we can eat and drink and enjoy the blessings and the fruit of the labor, that the fruit that comes from the labor that we are engaged in. Have you ever thought about how wise and good it is of God to have created Things so that we can enjoy even the basic necessities like like food and drink. You ever consider that? Have, have you ever thought about the variety just of flavors that exists in the created world? That we have peaches and we have strawberries and we have grapes and we have grapefruit and oranges and apples and hamburger and chicken and fish and vegetables and lettuce and all the glorious flavors of salad dressing and and. <laughs> Pork and lobster and crab and shrimp and all of those good things. Thousands, literally thousands of flavors that are ours to enjoy. And have you, have you ever considered how good God is to have created everything in that way? So that even in the basic essentials of life, that we can receive pleasure and enjoyment just in doing what we have to do to survive. God could have created a world in which everything tasted the same. So that though we had the ability to taste everything, everything tasted like, say, something bland, like lettuce. Even the dressing that you put on lettuce tasted like the lettuce. In which case, we wouldn't really have invented salad dressing, would we? We would just eat the lettuce. But God could have created it so everything, chicken, beef, fruits, vegetables, everything tasted just like lettuce or like water. Or he could have created a world in which everything had the same flavor, but it was something really delicious, like everything could taste like a Twinkie. Now that might sound sound great for a bit, But after a few weeks, it's just a Twinkie. It's just that same flavor again. He could have created a world in which everything that we eat tasted the same, and it tasted like liver. Yeah, and now there are some of you who are wrong enough in the head that that doesn't bother you. But for the rest of us, it would make us very skinny creatures because we would eat, but we wouldn't enjoy it. We would do it because we had to do it. Because if we didn't do it, we would die. So there would be no pleasure or enjoyment in it at all. Or God could have created a world in which all of these flavors exist, but we don't have the ability to sense them or to enjoy them. He could have created us without taste buds, right? He could have done that. He could have created us so that we we know that those flavors are out there, but we can't experience them. Just like we know that there are frequencies of light and sound that we cannot see or hear with our natural senses, We know that they exist, but we cannot enjoy them. He could have created a world in which we know all of these flavors exist, but we have no ability to experience them or to enjoy them with our natural senses. He could have done that. Now, if God had created everything so it tastes the same, He would have done us no wrong, because He doesn't owe us that joyment or that pleasure. He could have created it so that we can't enjoy any of those. He could have created us without taste buds, and He would have done us no wrong. He didn't have to do any of that, but the wisdom and the goodness of God is that even in those basic things that we do every day, He has created this world in such a way that we have the ability to enjoy something that simple and straightforward and daily, and He has created this manifold display of pleasures and enjoyments for us to enjoy. Now, what that tells me is that God is concerned with our enjoyment of the things that He has given to us to enjoy, even the simplest and most basic pleasures of life. They are His gift to us. So to eat and to drink and to see good in all of our labor, this is the reward for it. Eating and drinking for the Jews was also connected to religious celebrations. As you read through the Old Testament this year, which I hope you would read through the Old Testament once every so often, um, as you read through the Old Testament, pay attention to all of the ways in which God commands eating and drinking as part of the religious service and the culture of the Jews. They were commanded to offer some offerings and sacrifices had uh, portions of meat or grain that they were to enjoy some of them had uh, sacrifices that the family who sacrificed it were, were to enjoy some sacrifices the people didn't enjoy it but it was given to the priests and the priests got to eat from that table the passover meal and uh, passover celebration and sacrifice involved a meal early communion was done in connection with a large meal even even God's wisdom in giving us bread and juice to remind us of the suffering and the body and the blood of Christ even that is something that we taste and that we eat and we drink and we enjoy those things, and those flavors are good, and we enjoy those flavors, that is the gift of God to us. And now in connection with all of the religious life and the feasts and the sacrifices and the celebrations of the Jewish people, they were commanded to eat and to drink and to rejoice and to, and to partake of, the, field of the, the fruit of the field and all of the blessings that came from the vine, all of those were commanded and allowed by God. Why is that? So that they could indulge in some hedonistic pursuit of pleasure as an end in itself? That wasn't the reason. It was so that the Jews in their celebration of who God is would be reminded of the goodness of God in his provision and the grace of God in giving these things to them to enjoy and to delight in, even things as simple as eating and drinking, so that every single meal that you eat and every single meal I eat should remind me of how good God is, not only that he made this taste like this, but that he gave me the ability to taste it. That is a simple blessing. Every single meal should remind me of the goodness and wisdom of God in creating me for enjoyment, the ability to enjoy, and creating everything that he has given to me so that I can enjoy it. And those two things go together. It is no accident that it was planned like that because God has created those things and he has created us in that way because in eternity to come in heaven we will enjoy pleasures at His right hand forevermore. He has planned for us delights and pleasures and treasures that are beyond our wildest imagination because God delights in giving to His people good things and giving His people the ability to enjoy those good things. That is all the gift of God to us. And we, we can and ought to delight in that. And so Solomon says in verse 18, this is good and fitting to eat and drink and enjoy oneself in all one's labor. Now, it's not just eating and drinking that we are to enjoy. What does He also say that we are to enjoy? Enjoy ourselves in our what? Labor under the sun in all the few years that God has given to us. We are to enjoy not just eating and drinking, but labor as well. I find it far easier to enjoy a steak dinner than to enjoy digging a ditch. Work does not bring me nearly as much pleasure and enjoyment as a steak dinner. Now, I can tell from the looks on many of your faces that I'm not alone in this sentiment, that you enjoy a steak dinner more than you enjoy working, but... That doesn't mean that we cannot nor should, that we should not find enjoyment in our toil. And notice that Solomon does not say that we find enjoyment in the absence of toil, but in our toil. We find enjoyment and delight and pleasure and enjoy ourselves in the work, the labor, the toil that he has given to us under the sun. But if we are to do that, it requires that we have a biblical understanding of what work is and why we ought to work. If we don't have a biblical understanding of what work is and why we ought to work and what God does through our work, we will never be motivated to work. Work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. Exhaustion is a good thing. Working ourselves to the point of mental or physical exhaustion is not a bad thing. It should not be avoided. Work should be pursued as a means by which God has given to us. a means God has given to us to subdue creation to exercise dominion, to provide for our needs and the needs of our family, to provide for the needs of others in the work of the Lord, and to to serve other people. These things that God has called us to do in our various capacities and jobs, our toil and our work, these are the means by that is the means by which these things happen, and so we can delight in it, knowing that work is not cursed or work is not a curse, but work is cursed. In other words, it was given to Adam in the garden, and it was God's good gift to Adam. You were to work and to serve me. He was to exercise dominion and subdue creation. We do that through our occupations and our jobs in service to other people, and God uses that for us, enable us to provide for the needs of ourselves and for others, and to accumulate wealth, and to accumulate the fruit that he then allows us to gracefully enjoy in the way that he has determined and, and set out for us to enjoy it. So work is not a bad thing, and work should not be avoided. I actually believe that work should be pursued. The Bible does not teach that we are to pursue leisure and rest and ease of life. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's what we want to do, and that's what the world tells us to do. The world tells us that we ought to work as hard as we can to get as much as we can, as fast as we can, so that we can quit working as quickly as we can, then we can just sit around on our can. That's the message that the world gives us, but that's not a biblical message, and that's not a biblical worldview. We're not to pursue ease, but we're not to neglect those things either. God did appoint one day in seven for us to rest, so it is appropriate to rest, but my rest is only to prepare me to work more efficiently for His glory, and my work ought to exhaust me to the point where my rest is sweet, so that I'm able to rest, and so that I balance these two things. But we are not to pursue ease and leisure because that's not the goal of life. The goal of life is to work as long as I can, as hard as I can, as efficiently as, can, uh, as I can, so I can bring as much glory to God as I possibly can through the labor that He has given to me. So we are to enjoy eating and drinking. This is the fruit of our labor, and we are to enjoy the toil that God gives us under the sun. Now notice that Solomon is not suggesting that work is, is all sunshine and roses and lollipops and unicorns and rainbows. When we go to work, it is toil under the sun. And that word toil is a word that he uses throughout the book of Ecclesiastes to describe the vexing, challenging, frustrating, irritating aspect of our work. And it is under the sun. It is what we do under here in this world, in this creation. There is an element in which all of our work is struck by this note. It is colored with vanity. And so we fight against the curse in our work. There are things that we don't like. There are things that we hate. Yes, it exhausts us. But our work is done in order to fight against that curse. And in in subduing creation, we are fighting against the curse of Genesis chapter 3, and we do this for the glory of God. So we can enjoy and delight ourselves in our work. But Solomon says it's still toil, and it's still under the sun. Yes, it is, but we can enjoy it. And when we are able to enjoy not just our labor, but also eating and drinking the fruit of our labor, that is the gift of God. Now, if your job is eating and drinking, then you get the best of both worlds, right? I would love to be paid to eat. You might look at a guy like like Guy Fiori, whoever the guy is, the blonde-headed, bambastic guy on television, and you think he just gets paid to drive from diner to diner and just eat. That's his job. He gets paid to eat. Well, no, he gets paid to make a television show about eating. He eats about five minutes. You see that. You think that he's getting paid to that, but he doesn't. He spends 80 hours a week driving from diner to diner talking about filming a show about eating. I don't know of any job where we just get paid to eat. It might exist, If you find it, don't let anybody else know about it because there's going to be a lot of competition for that job. Just keep it a secret. Come and tell me. Okay, so the the work, labor... I got sidetracked there for a second. Just talking about Guy Fieri and driving from diner to diner eating. Labor is the reward for our toil. That's Solomon's first point. And so we ought to pursue enjoying the fruits that God has given to us, knowing we can eat and drink and we can labor and enjoy that for His glory and for His sake. Labor, uh, sorry, uh, enjoyment is not only the the reward for our toil, it is the gift of God. And this is verse 19 and 20. Look at verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. So you see a man who he has the provision of his labor, he enjoys the work or he finds elements of his job that are enjoyable that he can do and he can delight in. It's not that everything about his job is enjoyable, but there are elements or parts of his job that he can delight in and do those for the glory of God and enjoy them and rejoice in them and he gets to eat and to drink from the fruit of his labor because all that his labor produces he is able to enjoy and he enjoys that for the glory of God, giving God thanks to that. Who do we credit for that ability to enjoy the, the work, the fruit of the labor? What does Solomon say? That is the gift of God. So if you see a man who is able to enjoy what God has provided, that is God's gift. Now there is a man, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6, who does not have the ability to enjoy it. If he has the ability to enjoy it, that is God's gracious gift to him. If you enjoy your food and your drink, If you enjoy the fruit of what God has provided for you, you enjoy the simple pleasures of life, and you delight in them and rejoice in them, and and by the grace of God, you honor Him in them and in your work, that is God's gift to you. That is a reward for your toil. God has been good to you to give that to you. It's His gift. And God is good in that. And He is good in the giving of His gift. And one thing that Solomon wants us to understand here is that God Himself is the one who is sovereign over even the ability and the empowerment to enjoy the fruit of what we have done. God is sovereign over our toil. God is sovereign over what we do and how we do it. He is sovereign over the gifts that he gives, including the the labor itself and the food and the drink, and God is sovereign over even who gets to enjoy those things. God is sovereign over his gifts, whatever they are. He is the one who freely determines which gifts he will bestow upon whom. Whether it, we're talking about the gift of salvation, the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, spiritual gifts, the ability to enjoy your labor, what job it is that you have, or riches and wealth. Because Solomon here in verse 19 describes two things over which God is sovereign. Not only the giving of the gifts, but the giving of the ability to enjoy the gifts. So first of all, God is sovereign even over the riches that we accumulate or that we have. First Chronicles chapter 29. Verse 12 says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. And two verses later, David says in 29, verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand, and all is yours. And and Job recognized the sovereignty of God even over his own wealth when he said, It is the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away. Whether I have or I do not have is not determined by me alone. What I, what I have and what I do not have is determined by the sovereign hand of God. Who determines whether somebody is a millionaire or not? Why is it that Jeff Bezos founded Amazon and not me? Why, does he, why is he worth billions and not me? Who do I credit for that? Is, is, he, is he more righteous than I am? Is he a better person than I am? Is he smarter than I am? I know I don't know. He might be smarter than I am. I don't know that. But I do know this, that he is a millionaire or a billionaire because God has willed it so. And I am not because God has willed it so. And at some point, as God's people, we have to be content. In that situation to say, this is my lot, and I'm willing to embrace this and thank him for it, whatever it is that he has given to me. And if he should give me more, I will gladly receive it and enjoy it and use it for his glory. And if he should take away what I have and give me less, I will gladly embrace that and thank him for that, for whatever it is that he has given to me. If not a sparrow can fall to the ground without his notice, no millionaire can amass a million without his notice either. He is sovereign over those things. He is the one who determines that. He is the giver of all riches under the sun. Now, according to Psalm 73, some of those riches are given to his people for his glory and for his sake. It could be used for him. Some of those riches are given as a judgment to other people. But he is the one who sovereignly determines who gets what. He has he has lined out for us, Scripture says, the boundaries of our habitation. He has determined which nations we live in. He has determined the day of our birth. He has determined the day of our death. And He has written the story in between for us. He is sovereign over all of those things. Second, He is also sovereign over the empowerment to enjoy the gifts that He has given to us. That is why verse 19 says, He has also empowered Him to eat from them and to receive His reward and rejoice in His labor. This is the gift of God. Not only the gift itself, but the ability to enjoy that gift is from the hand of God. Now what is the blessing of being able to enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us? That's in verse 20. For he will not, the he here refers to the one who has given the ability to enjoy the gift. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. And what is Solomon saying? When you are eating and drinking and enjoying the good gifts that God has given to you, even your work, you don't think a lot. doesn't mean you don't think at all, but you don't think a lot about the brevity of your life the few years that God has given to you under the sun, verse 18. He's already described what the years are. They are few, they are filled with toil, they are filled with vanity. We understand that from Ecclesiastes. But when our hearts are filled with gladness and joy over even the simplest gifts of eating and drinking and enjoying life as God has given to us under the sun, when our life is filled with that and we are intent upon enjoying what He has given, We don't spend our days sitting around obsessed about the fact that it's all going to come to an end soon and that we're all going to lose it very soon and that we're all going to drop into a grave very soon and that our years are few and filled with misery and pain and vexation and darkness and sickness and anger and then we die. We don't think about that. Why? Because our hearts are occupied with what? The gladness and the joy that we get in even enjoying the simple things. So if you are able to enjoy the simple things, eating and drinking and the occupation that God has given to you, this is his gift to you. It is a sweet gift. Why? Because it keeps you distracted from the fact that you're going to die soon. And then you come here to be reminded of that every Sunday in Ecclesiastes, that you're going to die soon. And then you go back and you enjoy the gifts that God has given to you, and it distracts you from that reality. He will not often think about the years of his life because his heart is occupied with the gladness of his, his days are occupied with the gladness of his heart. Compare the difference between verse 17 and verse 20. Verse 17 describes the, the man who hoarded riches to his own hurt. And the man who lost it all to a bad investment. And what does Solomon say in verse 17? Throughout his life, he eats in darkness and great vexation, sickness, and anger. Compare that with verse 20. The man to whom God has given the gift to, uh, to enjoy those simple things. Verse 20, he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Darkness, vexation, sickness, and anger, the gladness of your heart. When we enjoy the simple gifts, even the most basic things that God has given to us, our hearts are occupied with gladness, and we don't spend our days like verse 17, like the man who loses it all or the man who hoards it all and is unable to enjoy those things. We enjoy those things, and our hearts are filled with gladness, and so we don't give any thought to the vexing aspects of life. As one commentator said, this, this joy or enjoyment in the simple pleasures of life almost serves to numb the pain of vanity for Solomon. So I he continues to come back to it. I mean, he has removed God from the equation entirely, and so all he can, all Solomon can do is come back to these, these man-centered hedonistic pleasures and say at least there's a bright spot in this. But from a divine perspective, we can look at it from the perspective of God from the perspective of Revelation and say we can enjoy these things as the gifts of God, and then we get the best of both worlds. We get a, a life that is centered on God and understands His purposes in all of it, and we get to enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us, and this is His gift. Now, verse 18 seems to suggest that enjoying these pleasures under the sun during our few years is our choice or our work or something that we purpose to do. Verse 19 seems to suggest that it is by the sovereign hand of God. Verse 18, this is good and fitting. Enjoy, eat, drink, and enjoy the labor. Verse 19, if you do this, it is the gift of God. So what is it? Is it something that we should pursue and try to do, or is it God's sovereign gift? It is both, right? We are back to, again, divine sovereignty and human responsibility and activity. Because we are God's people, and all of this has been secured for us in the person of Christ, we ought to come to God with open hands to receive His blessings and purpose that in the receiving of those blessings, we will enjoy those gifts that He has given to us for His glory and use them for His sake and see this as the gift of God to us. And so we pursue it on the one hand. We also recognize that if we have the ability to do that, it is because God has willed it so and because He is sovereign and because He is good in His sovereignty. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Do you hear that? God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. That is the biblical perspective on life in this world. It's not just vanity and emptiness. God is a giver of good gifts, and He gives those good gifts to us to enjoy. He gives us not only the gift He gives us the ability to enjoy the gift, and He gives us the parameters in which we are to enjoy those gifts so that they don't get spoiled or soiled or wasted for His glory. We have the parameters to enjoy the gift, the gift, and the enjoyment of the gift. It is all His gift to us because God is good, because He is good. Now, in the person of Christ, because what Christ has done in the cross and His death and His burial and His resurrection I am to understand that Christ has secured for me an everlasting enjoyment of every good gift from the hand of the Father. So that every time I enjoy even the simple basic pleasures of life, like eating and drinking and the labor that God has given to me under the sun, it is to do two things. It is to focus my heart not upon those gifts that he has given to me, but upon the giver of the gift. So that in my enjoyment of those things, I am thanking him for them, recognizing that they come from His hand, and rejoicing in them, that honors the giver of the gift. But it also should point my heart forward and my mind forward to eternity in which we will dwell, because of what Christ has done, we will dwell at the right hand of God and enjoy pleasures and delights and enjoyments forever. He has created us for this. This is His goal. His goal in our redemption is to save a people for Himself, for the glory of His own name, and then to pour out everlastingly for eternity all good things upon those people so that He might be honored. What will it be like when we get to enjoy the delights of a new heaven and a new earth in glorified resurrected bodies without any sin or any iniquity or any death or any disease or any sorrow at all that is present? And our minds will never have any thought except to enjoy this in the light of God's goodness and to thank Him for these enjoyments. What will that be like? That will be magnificent. That is what we are created for, and every good gift that we enjoy here should point us to that. Let us pray together. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. There's so many things that we enjoy in this life that we take for granted, and we don't want to do that, even in the basic things such as eating and drinking. We want to see your gracious hand of provision and goodness in those things so that we might rejoice in the good gifts that you have given to us, that we may honor your name and demonstrate our love for you. Thank you that you have secured by your grace, by your providence and your sovereignty, all these enjoyments for us, not only in this life, but far much more in the life to come. We thank you for these things. We rejoice in them, and we confess our love for you in Jesus' name. Amen.